I know we just uh, prayed a moment ago, but um, if you would be patient with me, uh, I would like to pray again. Um, it always calms my nerves. Uh, so uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, that you have given us a word that we are able to read, that we are able to, uh, uh, to comprehend through your spirit, God, in our own language. Lord, give us eyes to see, a mind to understand what you have uh, commanded us, what you have taught us through your word. Lord, I pray that it would not be me up here, but you through me, God, that I might decrease and you may increase. Forgive us when we fail you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So after, uh, over the last few weeks, we have been going through uh, the various fruit of the Spirit. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 22 and 23. When Joss asked me to preach, I was really excited. Um, I love to have the opportunity to preach, and I um, don't take it lightly. Um, however, when he said that we were preaching one word from the fruit of the Spirit, I got a little nervous, I'm not going to lie. It's a daunting task to, to, to preach on just one phrase or word because um, it can be so broad. So, however, um, I'm excited tonight. Uh, There's a couple reasons why I chose patience. Uh, the first is because I need more of it. And I've heard a lot of people say that um, tonight uh, as, as I talk to them. We all need more patience. Secondly, I decided to choose patience because I'm truly amazed by those who display it. Uh, specifically, my wife in uh, me whenever I um, am being impatient. Um, so I'm very honored to preach tonight. So let's go ahead and get started. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, before we get started specifically on patience, I think because uh, we have taken a little time off, it would be good to refresh our minds on the context of what's going on here. Just as we've talked about in the previous week, Paul, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, is addressing a false teaching that has arisen within the church. Um, the, the false teaching basically said that you must add to the works of Christ in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian. Specifically, you must be circumcised. So you need, you need Jesus and you need circumcision in order to be saved. Paul, however, makes the argument that we have been set free from the regulations and commandments of the law that we have had in the Old Testament. And they are no longer binding on us today. We have been set free. We are no longer uh, required to keep the whole law like that anymore. But if we are going to add and say we need circumcision, we need to keep all of the law, which we are unable to do. So, he says that 
Um, we need Christ because he sets us free from that law. Verse 13, uh, however, answers a question that arises. If we are set free from the law, can we just go on and sin? Verse 13 reminds us not to let that freedom that we now have in Christ be an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another through love. Then Paul gives us these two lists that helps us understand if we are living by the flesh or if we are living by the Spirit. Now, patience, like all these topics, are very broad and are reoccurring themes uh, throughout both the Old and New Testament. However, before we go in and see what biblical patience looks like, I think it would be good if we got a wider context on what is going on in these verses. Uh, it may help make sense of the route I'm taking in this sermon. So if you would, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This book, Romans, was written by the same author, Paul, and there are reoccurring themes throughout all of his writings. In fact, we don't have the time now, but I encourage you all to read Romans chapter 8 in light of Galatians 5. They're very similar. Paul is teaching a lot of the same things that are going on. Um, it's not a new teaching that Paul is, t uh, is saying here that we have been set free in Christ. So, in chapter 7, Paul had discussed both sin and the law, and he says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Sounds a lot like the teachings of Galatians, uh, that we have now been set free from the law in Christ. We are now in Christ. Verses 5 through 8, skip down. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. But to those... 4, verse 7, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What's the idea going on here in verses 5 through 8? The fact that if we are living according to the flesh, we cannot please God. Um, those who do not have the Spirit, because of their nature, are, un are unable to please God, which brings death and destruction, God's judgment. Uh, what kind of things do you do if you live by the flesh? We see that in Galatians 5, right? He gives a full list of what's going on here. He goes on in verse 9 through 11. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If, uh, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells on you. It goes on to say that if you are in the Spirit, that terminology means that the Spirit of God, it goes on to say that Christ Himself is in you. And, that's, and that this spirit brings life and righteousness. Why do I bring this up? 
Well, first, I wanted to try and give a bigger picture of what Paul is saying in Galatians 5. I believe that Romans chapter 8 does that. I love context and I love context and I love bringing in different themes throughout Scripture in order to get a greater understanding of what Paul is doing here. Secondly, and more importantly, I wanted to get a better picture of where these fruits come from. They directly come from God Himself. These aren't characteristics that we as humans can try harder uh, without God to produce, but it is what God produces in all Christians. These are said to be the fruit of the Spirit because it wholly proceeds from the Spirit of God. Just like a plant produces its specific uh, type of fruit, we as Christians wholly produce these fruits because God is inside us. Um, that doesn't mean that we are saved by displaying these fruits, um, but it means that if we are Christians, God will produce them. The Reformers during the Protestant Reformation used to have a saying that we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Faith is accompanied by these marks of a Christian that we see in Galatians 5. So for us to obtain a biblical understanding of what true patience is, we need to first not look at ourselves, but look to God, who, who truly displays this characteristic. In the Old Testament, um, the word patience is only used once in Proverbs in order to describe a type of ruler. However, the idea of God displaying his patience throughout is usually described as being slow to anger in the Old Testament. Multiple times in the book of Psalm, God is described as being patient and slow to anger. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So you have this idea of God being patient, slow to anger. We see God's patience demonstrated in Nehemiah. If you would, turn to Nehemiah. And I am going to ask you to turn to a couple different passages tonight. Uh, so I ask again for your patience. See how I'm making everybody uh, work for that tonight. But Nehemiah was written at a time after Israel had been exiled. They were returning back to Israel after being driven out because of their rebellion. Then we see here in Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 16, it says this, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. So we have this description of the people after they left Egypt they, are, they appointed a leader in, in order to go back to that slavery. Right after God led them out of that slavery. It's the first thing they do. Then it says here, going on in uh, the same verse, But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. God could have at that moment brought out his holy and righteous judgment because of their rebellion right after he led them out of Egypt. He would have been right and just to do so. But he decided to be merciful, to be slow to anger, to be patient with them and not forsake them, not to leave them. Verse 18, verse 18, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. If there's ever a time for God to show his judgment, his holy judgment and righteous judgment on people, it is right here. He had just brought them out of Egypt and they turned and created a calf, a golden calf, and said, you are the one that brought me out of Egypt. You are our God. However, he was slow to anger and great in his mercies, did not forsake them. He did not leave them. Skip down to verses 30 and 31. Many years you bore with them and you warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. The same idea here is happening. Many times, after many times of rebellion, of going away from God, of not listening to God, He still is their God. He did not forsake them. He did not destroy them. Chapter 9, all of chapter 9, if you read it, is like a short history of Israel and their rebellion. We see time after time, they are choosing to not follow God. God could have, done, be done, could have been done with Israel. He could have said, I'm going to choose a different people. But he chose to be patient with them. He chose to not forsake them. He stayed with them. He did not go out and choose another people to be his people, but he stayed with them and continued to be their God. God is showing Israel his patience throughout the Old Testament, and Nehemiah is a picture of that. Not only do we see God's patience in the Old Testament, but we also see God's patience fully displayed in Jesus Christ. If you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's written by Paul. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. But I, Paul, received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So the question here is why is Paul an example? What about Paul could Christ display his perfect patience in? Well, if we go back to verse 13, it says this, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul describes his former life here in verse 13 before he says what God did for him in verse 16. 
And Paul is not just being a humble man. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, don't turn there, it says that Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts chapter 22 and verse 4 says the same thing. I, Paul, persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. It said in Acts 8 that he ravaged the church, but God, in his perfect patience, chose not to pour out his judgment at that moment. He could have, just like with Israel, so we have this picture of Israel, now we have this picture of Paul. God could have, at that moment, poured out his righteous judgment on Paul the moment he blasphemed. The moment that he took men and women to prison because they are Christians, he could have poured out his righteous judgment on Paul and destroyed Paul. But Paul said in chapter 1, verse 16, that he received mercy, that he may be an example, so that all may know that God is a God of patience. But if you look to Paul and say that that is a, an amazing story, that Paul himself, who in his former life was this and now he's this, God can do really cool stuff, and you move on, you've missed the point. Because we were that before God displayed his perfect patience in us. You and I are deserving of God's wrath the moment we blaspheme. Remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we just read that those hostile, those in the flesh, who were you and I, were hostile to God. We hated God's law. We no longer wanted to obey God. We never wanted to obey God. And God could have poured out his righteous judgment on you and I, but he chose to be merciful. He chose to be patient towards us. And he displayed that great patience in us by sending his son to save sinners, whom I, insert your name, I, Austin, am the foremost sinner. And we should have that same type of mindset that Paul has here, that God displayed his perfect perfection, that although we sinned against a great and holy God, he did not destroy us, but was patient and saved us. May we not forget that glorious truth that God saves sinners in spite of their sin. Now that we've seen God's patience in the Old Testament and then fully displayed in Christ, what did the New Testament writers write concerning patience for believers? Well, first, in Romans chapter 8, going back to the same, cha same chapter, Romans chapter 8, Verses 23 and 25, we are to patiently wait for the return of Christ. Verse 23 says this, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as Son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it 
with patience, waiting on the hope of the second coming, that on Jesus' second coming, he will make all things right. Here it says that not only us, but in verse 22, it says all of creation is waiting for this. Not just you and I as Christians, but the mountains and all the things that were cursed in Genesis 3 are waiting for God to make all of those things right. I, for the longest time, never really wanted this. I said, I want to live my life fully, and then I want Christ to come right before I die, because I want to see it happen. Um, However, Paul says that we have hope in this fact, that we believe in Jesus' return, and even when we face trials and burdens, when nothing feels like it's going our way, we have the hope. We patiently wait for the second coming knowing that Christ will make all things right. We should hope and want for Christ to come back because he will make all things right. This was written for an encouragement to Christians who are suffering. Verse 18, for, this is the beginning of this thought for Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The fact that Jesus Christ will come, and in verse 28, he will make all these things right. He will make these things right, should give us great confidence. Things are not going our way. They, never, they might never be while we're on this earth. And that's just a true statement of life. However, one day, praise the Lord, he will make all things right by his second coming. Another time that it's written that we should be patient is in 2 Timothy 4.2. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it. But it says that we are to have patience, eagerly expecting the second coming, but preaching this fact to all people. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In complete patience. This is something that I've read time and time again, but I've skipped over these two words. In complete patience. Three words. We are not to preach impatiently. What does that mean to preach impatiently? Giving up after it doesn't work the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time. We're supposed to be marked as a, as a Christian as never-ending as always preaching the word of God, patiently, in season and out, knowing that God will accomplish his will in it. If we are to emulate Christ, it means that we are never to give up in preaching of the word. Just as God was patient to us, we are to be patient to unbelievers, those who don't know God, those who um, God, knowing that God is able to save in his patience to those who are now, at this moment, rejecting time and time again and are living in the flesh. We know that truth, that God is able to save in his patience. And we should be patient towards other people as we are living, especially in preaching of the word to them. A few applications about this and then we'll be done. First and foremost, we should be humbled and rejoice in God's display of perfect perfection with us in our salvation. We don't know patience unless we have received it 
from God. Just like Jake said a few weeks ago, you can only know true peace in God's salvation. That only comes from God. We only know um, all of these characteristics that come from God in Galatians chapter 5 are perfectly shown in God's salvation of His people. We only know true joy in the salvation of God. We, only, we are saved because of God's love. And we only know true patience because God has shown us patience. We are unworthy of that patience, but He has shown that to us. So we should rejoice in that. Secondly, we should eagerly wait and expect the second coming of Christ to make all things right. And this should give us confidence. This is not our home. Don't cling to it. What is it that a man may gain the whole world but lose his soul? That becomes very true here. We are to persevere in patience, even in hardships, even in sufferings, because we know Christ will return and he will make all things right. Lastly, we should have patience with each other because God has shown us patience, including preaching the gospel with patience, not relenting in and out of season. We too were once in the flesh. We too were not producing these fruits, but God had patience on us. I pray that we not soon forget that God has patience with us and that this fact should motivate us to show patience to all people in all situations. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come to you tonight. Lord, we are unworthy to receive your mercy and your grace and your patience, Lord, but that is the point of it, that we are unworthy. Lord, I pray that you would continue to show us patience when we fail you, show us mercy whenever we fail. And Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your glorious truths. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.